0: Hi, I'm Esau Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hunt. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast, on the Ring of Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast, on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This episode is brought to you by Peacock, presenting critically acclaimed originals for your Emmy consideration. Stream limited series Apples Never Fall, starring Annette Bening and Sam Neill, and The Tattooist of Auschwitz, based on the best-selling novel. Plus. TV movie Mr. Monk's Last Case and the semi-animated In the Know from Mike Judge and Zach Woods. Finally, head to the Highlands with Alan Cumming in the hit competition series The Traitors. Peacock is your consideration destination this Emmy season. This episode is brought to you by Max, presenting the HBO original, The Sympathizer. Based on Viet Thanh Nguyen's Pulitzer Prize-winning novel, The Sympathizer is an espionage thriller and cross-cultural satire about the struggles of a communist spy during the final days of the Vietnam War and his new life as a refugee in Los Angeles. Don't miss what The Rolling Stone calls a tour de force. Eligible for Outstanding Limited Series and all other categories. It is Monday, October 24th. We're almost 10 months into 2022, and we're in sort of this doldrum period before Halloween. A lot of horror, a lot of things rolling out. We had Black Adam this past weekend that did okay. But now we're heading into the holiday season, the final two months of the year, and there are many, many different projects coming out, some big swings from the entertainment companies. Um, That's why for this episode, I thought it would be interesting to get into who has the most at stake So I brought in Lucas Shaw, my normal Monday morning quarterback, to go through a list. Everyone loves lists. We're going to rank the top five or six biggest swings of the rest of 2022, and who has the most to gain or lose. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw of Bloomberg, and Lucas, we are going to do one of our countdowns today. got to give the listeners what they love and always get good feedback on these. We are going to go through what we have decided are the biggest swings with the highest stakes and the most at risk for these companies. And then we'll go back and forth and do our top five or six. um, And then we will crown, actually, let's start, let's just crown the biggest one because I think you and I agree from the outset what the biggest swing, the biggest risk of the rest of this year is. And it's got to be Avatar 2, right?
0: Oh, far and away. I mean, it's a, a $250 million movie that is part of, or the the first of, what is it, four, four movies to come, three
1: movies to come? It's this one plus three more that James Cameron has has decided he's going to do. And the numbers on this are hilarious. Yes, it's 250000000 million, they're saying. It's probably much more, but it's hard to judge because he has set up the infrastructure to make all these movies, so... It's, you know, it's one of those where he spends a lot now and it'll be amortized. But this movie was supposed to come out in December 2014, literally eight years ago. I think producer Craig was in diapers. I mean, this was first. This was supposed to be the first of, um, you know, three in a row, four in a row that would come out every two years. And then you know he decided that he had to create the performance capture technology so that he could shoot underwater. Uh, then you know the studio got sold. I mean this this movie's yeah, been this in development. Disney
0: inherited it from Fox, which released the original Avatar more than a decade ago. And on the one hand, it's that was the most successful movie of all time, or kind of that and Titanic, two Jim Cameron movies. But you have to wonder, you know, you you talk to people close to Jim Cameron, close to the movie, and they insist that like that fan base is still there, still passionate. They re-release the original movie and it makes a bunch of money in theaters and it's going to be huge overseas. But uh, does anyone remember anything about the original movie? I guess does that matter?
1: It doesn't matter. It, all that matters is it's a spectacle. You know what it is, and it's an overseas audience. I mean, look what happened when they re-released the movie last month. It grows seventy-five million dollars. No new footage. No nothing new about it. Just here's a movie you know, and let's put it back in theaters. Grows seventy-five million dollars worldwide, and it grows double overseas. So that's the audience for this movie. If this movie can galvanize that overseas audience and can make people excited about the 3D spectacle. The big difference here between now and 2009, when the first one came out, is that 3D was a novelty then. People were interested in this movie because it really took advantage of 3D technology. Here we are 13 years later, 3D is sort of passé. And I've talked to Jim Cameron about this in the past. And he says, okay, people don't like bad 3D. But if you give them good 3D and something they've never seen before in 3D, they will show up for this. And I do believe that given his track record and given how much he cares about the tech, he will deliver something that people will want to see in theaters. And I do think that that Avatar fan base is out there.
0: The, the original Avatar is why we had to then sit through every single movie being in 3D with a f- 3 to
1: $5 upcharge for five years. Yeah, I know. And now it's still out there. You can still see movies in 3D, but nobody does. The question for Disney, though, is what if this movie comes out and it grosses like a billion, you know? And people say, oh, okay, it's fine. We'll check this out. And a billion dollars would be great for any franchise, right? But for this one, when you're coming off the original doing 2.7 and you've got this promise of three additional movies coming is it going to be diminishing returns on these movies
0: it would start to feel like the um the fantastic beasts franchise which was like the follow-up to harry potter or even with the first one people weren't that excited but it did well enough that they kept making them and by the time they got to the third or fourth one i don't know who was going to see those movies but some people did
1: well and and that's a harry potter movie where at least people have an attachment to the books And there's a new generation yeah i don't know this one might be more like remember the divergent franchise which lost so much steam that by the last movie they just put it direct to tv like people just kind of pretended it didn't happen
0: yeah I, i i did not see any of them
1: that's the worst case scenario for this franchise i don't think it's gonna happen jim cameron i mean look at his last sequel that he did he did terminator 2 which is one of the rare sequels that's better than the original and advanced on the original's technology and visual effects significantly.
0: He 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 does not
1: miss, so I
0: have to assume that these will be be good, or at the very least, so kind of fantastic that uh, and 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 so spectacular that people show up.
1: All right, and fun fact: Vin Diesel is apparently in this movie, and what could be better than that? Um. You have no comment on Vin I Diesel.
0: Mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I like the Fast and Furious movies as much as the next guy, Vin Diesel, as some kind of blue creature. Yeah, shirt. I
1: hope he's blue. I hope Vin Diesel is blue in this movie. All right, let's move on to number two. Your, your number two pick for the biggest swing of the rest of 2022.
0: I mostly did this for you because of your Will Smith obsession. Um, and and, and they, the the answer is uh, Emancipation, uh, with which is the the... Will Smith's follow up or first movie since the slap at the Oscars uh, and kind of interestingly, Apple, which is the most risk averse of all of the companies in Hollywood right now, is choosing to release it out of this award season, not knowing what will come of it or how people will respond to it.
1: Yeah, I think it's a big risk for Apple because they could have waited. It's not like they need the cash. It's Apple. They could have waited a year and just kind of rode this out and made people forget a little bit about the slap and the controversy and Will Smith getting kicked out of the academy. The thing that's interesting about this movie, um, and a disclosure, by my wife is a talent manager and has a client in this movie, so I should say that. But the thing that's interesting about this movie is it is a pure awards play. They were counting on this movie and the performances in this movie to generate Oscars this year. Now with everything up in the air with the movie, it can still be nominated. Everyone, including Will Smith can be nominated. He cannot attend the Oscars. He resigned his membership and they banned him from the ceremony, but he can be nominated. Uh, you know, Ben Foster can be nominated. The other, uh, a standout supporting actor in this film, uh, all of the creative, the other creative, Antoine Fuqua, the director. So the question is, will the Academy embrace this movie? And, I initially thought, no, that they would not. But the more I talk to people that are voters, the more they tell me, you know, if it's good, I'll evaluate it like any other movie. They say they're not going to vote for Will Smith, but they don't necessarily want to punish everybody else. And if this movie starts getting awards attention, it could be a fascinating scenario because we could see potentially even Will Smith getting nominated a year after the slap and unable to attend the Oscars.
0: I mean, we should be clear: the 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 risk or the stakes here are not financial in in any way. This movie could come out and nobody could see it, and that would be fine for Apple. They could Apple could release ten movies that nobody sees, and it wouldn't matter. They do, yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, name the last Apple movie you watched. But it
0: but it it does raise the the possibility of like a negative press cycle around Apple or certain distractions, which they have studiously avoided thus far in their kind of foray into Hollywood.
1: Yeah. And I think the messaging will be that they are releasing this movie because it's a great movie. And because there are hundreds of people that worked on it that deserve their creative work to be seen. And they're not going to let the bad acts of one person derail that. Or, or this will be, I mean, what I want to know is if this will, because it is coming out, if
0: this will be the, like, the Will Smith redemption tour where he, like, finally figures out the right way to talk to people knowing that he, you know, didn't commit some horrible crime. He was, you know, just made a mistake on television. But
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I would argue it's a little bit more than that. Um, but, and the reputational damage to the Oscars itself is pretty significant. But they have taken care of that and they've banned him from the ceremony. The, the narrative on him could Switch here. You're right. It could be that this performance is so transformative, and he apparently he's excellent in the movie. He plays an escaped slave. He's never played a role like this in his career. It's very difficult to watch, apparently, but it's very good. Um, and if that narrative switches, he could get nominated, and then it would be, I mean, it would just be the height of the Academy to ban him one year and then nominate him the next. It would be amazing. I'm here for it. All right, so let's move on to number three. My number three pick for the biggest swing of the rest of this year is CNN Election Night, the new CNN. Uh, If you haven't been following, CNN has a new leader under its new owner, Warner Brothers Discovery, Chris Licht, who comes from the Stephen Colbert Show. He's been making some changes at CNN. He wants it to be less partisan, less of a political volleyball for the right wing to say that CNN is anti-Trump or anti-conservative. He has brought in more, you know, conservative-oriented commentators. He fired Brian Stelter, the the Reliable Sources host, who was perceived as being uh, anti-Fox News. He's moving Don Lemon out of the primetime slot. So per- and it,
0: perceived as being anti-Fox <laughs> News?
1: He is anti-Fox <laughs> News. But, but if you talk to Brian, he would say he's pro-truth. He's not anti-Fox, and he's a media reporter, so he has to stand up for the truth. But yes, he was a constant punching bag for people like Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity, and he is now gone. Um, Chris Licht has also moved Don Lemon out of prime time into a morning show slot with Poppy Harlow and Caitlin Collins. But the big test of the new CNN will be election night that is one of the tent poles it's where cnn ratings tend to spike and this will be the first showcase of the new chris licht cnn in a big spotlight moment
0: i guess i'm i feel like it's going to be fine because election nights are when even even fox news which is for the most part a very conservative network plays it more down the middle. I mean, obviously there's slants slamps to everyone's coverage, but you know, Fox was famously early to call Arizona for Biden. Sure. I mean,
1: You're they have that post. election. They have that polling group. That's like neutral.
0: I feel like the bigger the bigger challenge for CNN has more to do with like mornings and prime time, and the election is going to be fine for them. They're going to get a bunch of ratings. People rely on them for the for the still rely on them for the election. I guess you could persuade me that it matters because they're going to be testing out slightly different roles for talent.
1: Well, I just think it's a it's a showcase for them. I mean, all the changes that they've made on CNN don't really matter because not that many people are watching. This is a sample audience people like me who don't watch cnn normally do watch them on election night and if i see something that strikes me as different or a personality that i find interesting or smart perhaps that is something i would check out in the future they will also get a chance to showcase promos for all of their new stuff that's coming so i do think it's like it is a it is a moment for cnn to either shine or tell us that they are different yeah This episode is brought to you by Max, presenting the HBO original True Detective. When the long winter night falls in Ennis, Alaska, the eight men who operate the Salal Arctic Research Station vanish without a trace. To solve the case, Detectives Liz Danvers and Evangeline Navarro will have to confront the darkness they carry in themselves and dig into the haunted truths that lie buried under the eternal ice don't miss the series BBC calls fierce and absorbing eligible for outstanding limited series and all other categories. All right, let's move on to number four, your number four pick for the biggest swing of the rest of 2022.
0: Uh, I went with glass onion, the sequel to knives out, uh, for net, which Netflix will release for a week in theaters at the end of November. And then on streaming in December, uh, Somewhat similar with the Apple one. This is this has less kind of huge business stakes, although Netflix did spend a small fortune to get the rights to make two sequels to Knives Out and is and is more uh, a symbolic one where despite lots of debate internally at the company, despite constant kind of conversations with theaters, Netflix is really sticking with the we're going to put our movies on streaming. We'll release them in theaters for a week or two to make the filmmakers happy, to qualify them for awards, but we don't see it as a business opportunity. This is a little bit different than what they've done normally, because it's a movie that was a huge hit in theaters a few years ago and presumably would have been a big hit in theaters if it were released that way this year. And I think that the the challenge for Netflix is proving or showing that this can be as big a cultural moment as the last one was, because the main thing that I think Netflix has struggled with on the film side, besides having kind of too many and not good enough movies, is that even their big wins can burn really bright and then fade very quickly. They do not last in culture for a long time in the way that Top Gun did earlier this year.
1: Or even the first Knives Out. I mean, that's why this is a good test case because it made $300 million worldwide, sort of came out of nowhere. This is not a big budget action spectacle. It was a pretty well-done murder mystery with stars. And it became a cultural phenomenon so much that the rights to two sequels sold for more than four hundred and fifty million dollars to Netflix. And that's why it's interesting now because they're they could just be capitalizing on this and say, okay, we're gonna put it on the streamer, come watch it on Netflix. But a combination of factors here. The first of all, the filmmaker wanted it to go to theaters, so they're doing it for the filmmaker Ryan Johnson. The theater owners have been just chomping at this, and you've written a little bit about this, and I agree with you that they were naive to think that Netflix was ever going to do a meaningful theatrical play for this movie, Uh, putting them in theaters for a week around Thanksgiving is a marketing exercise, mostly. They're not even going to report box office. It is for the filmmaker and for marketing and to maybe throw a bone to the theaters. But the, the fact that these theater owners thought that this was the sign of Netflix changing their tune, uh, not right now. I think at some point, Netflix might have to for their financials. They might say, you know what? We could get, a couple hundred million dollars from theaters and it probably won't hurt us very much when we then put the movie on Netflix 45 days later. But that's another conversation and they are not there yet. I think that this is this is a uh this is a real challenge for Netflix to say we can have a movie that is just as big as theaters and create a cultural moment around it.
0: And and that means by the way, director, big time director, big time star, you want to keep making movies with us.
1: Yeah. Other than the fact that they paid $450 million, much of which is going into the pocket of Ryan Johnson and Daniel Craig. And, you know, the the, the financial buyout here was so large that it just made sense to go to Netflix for them. It was also timing
0: because they made the deal in the depths of the pandemic when nobody was sure what the theatrical business was going to look like in the near future. That's true. You don't think they'd make that deal today? I think they would. I think they still, they they certainly still could, but I, I think the negotiations would probably be a little bit different. The, 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 I mean, look, I don't think that Lionsgate, which released the first one, would be able to compete with Netflix or any of the other studios, but I wouldn't be shocked if one of the others, if like a Universal decided to try to come in and find some interesting
1: interesting package. Maybe. I just think the money was so big. I, the question is whether Netflix would spend 450 million dollars today given where the stock is and given some of their uh, constraints on spending that they're starting to confront um, i think they probably would i think they would recognize the value of having a real theatrical franchise because that's what they've lacked i mean as as popular as the netflix movies are they say on streaming they don't have these big franchises that these other movie studios do and they desperately want them yeah all right Let's move on to number five on my list. I'm going to go with the World Cup. I'm saying the World Cup, the soccer tournament, because it's a little different than it has been in the past. First of all, it is taking place around the holidays in this country. The The tournament's in in Qatar, Qatar, Qatar however you want to say it. And because of the heat, they wanted to keep it out of the summer. So it's taking place in November and December around the holidays in this country. Uh, it is on Fox still, which they've been there for many years now. But Fox and Telemundo, which have the US rights, that deal is coming up after the next tournament. And the speculation is that they will probably work on an extension or take the rights to the market before the next World Cup in 2026. So there's a lot of pressure on Fox and Telemundo to generate you know, significant audience on this one. Um, and I think that's going to put a lot of pressure on them. The other aspect here is the political aspect. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about the human rights issues in Qatar and whether that will work its way into some of the coverage of the World Cup this year. So there's a lot going on. And I just wonder, you know, World Cup has grown each tournament over the past, I think, 20 years Keeps as soccer keeps getting more popular in this country. Um, we'll see if it does again.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't expect Fox and Telemundo to go go big on the on the political argument. They uh, might, the, no, the, they've
1: said they're not. I mean, for the record, they've said that they're if it doesn't happen on the court or on the field, they're not going to cover it.
0: But the 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 good thing working in the advantage of the World Cup, to your point, is that the the audience for soccer keeps going up. The the bad news is, whereas in the summer you're only competing against baseball, in the fall you're competing against football, basketball, hockey college football college basketball yep. and also in the summer you have a lot of people who maybe have more flexible schedules can tune into a game at random times the games are going to be at a, at unusual times because of the time difference whereas in in the winter i guess you do, or i guess you do have like holiday periods for people are off for big games i think for example the us has a big game the week of thanksgiving uh, but you'll have a bunch of others that are just in the middle of a work day and that's that's a drag
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the other companies are paying attention to this. Uh, I I know that Amazon would have liked to put an NFL game on Black Friday. They just did a deal with the NFL to do a Black Friday game next year. And there was some talk about starting that arrangement this year with the NFL and putting an NFL game on Friday of Thanksgiving weekend for the first time. And they decided not to do that in part Because of the World Cup and that big US-UK game that is planned for that week. So it is impacting that. I just, um, you know, we saw with the NBA. Remember when the NBA finals were moved out of its normal time because of the pandemic and the ratings went way down? People tend to expect certain sporting events, certain times of the year. And having the World Cup on at an unorthodox time of the year might change that up to the point where fewer people watch. We'll see. All right. We have time for six. Do you want to do six?
0: I have a, I have a tie in sixth place. Um, one is Tulsa King, uh, which is the new show from Yellowstone creator Taylor Sheridan. And
1: With Sylvester Stallone, don't disrespect Sly.
0: How could I? I, I rely on you for all, uh, all Yellowstone knowledge. That <laughs> premieres at the same time or around the same time as the new season of Yellowstone. I think that matters because they have... Position the kind of the Yellowstone universe as a cornerstone of the Paramount Plus streaming service, Uh, which means that especially since they don't have the streaming rights to Yellowstone, they need the spinoffs to work and be really popular.
1: But this isn't a spinoff. This is just from the creator of this is like the Jeremy Renner show they did last year. Um, The king of what was it called? Uh, Some the jail show. And it's it, it has nothing to do with the Yellowstone universe. That's why I think this show is going to be big, and Stallone is a huge draw for okay, that. I should
0: have that. said the Sheridan
1: universe. The Sheridan, yes, the Sheridan verse, which is a – I refuse to say that. But the Taylor Sheridan uh, world of shows, he is a draw, and I think that there is a fan base for him. It's not the same as a Yellowstone spinoff, in my opinion. I think that you know, eighteen eighty-three had that built-in world where you were interested in the origin of these this char- these characters, and their family. Um, but I think this is still going to be big. And that show was
0: not as big as Yellowstone, anyways. The I have a I have another one which I think uh, you'll disagree with. Um, I think there is some stakes for the new season of White Lotus in HBO, and it has less to do. With the show itself, although I do think it matters a lot because it's a sequel to a popular show, one that they could have very much left as a limited series. But if I have one big criticism of HBO across the last eight years and figuring out streaming and all those things, it's that they never adequately use Game of Thrones. They had the most popular show in the world and they didn't use it effectively as a huge driver of streaming. You mean to other shows? In general, I don't well, think- what are you talking a about? They have a,
1: they've been running a 40% discount sale during Game of Thrones. If you sign up for the full year of HBO Max, that's trying to lock in that Game of Thrones audience for a full year so they don't just churn in and out.
0: Those types of experiments are relatively new. They were not using it as a major lever with the original show. Now, with House of the Dragon, what they have is another opportunity to do this and as best I can tell the programming slate over the rest of the year is not that great. Maybe there's some things people want to watch but they don't a lot of their big hits I think are coming early next year.
1: Well, it's telling that they used the the premiere or the finale of House of the Dragon last night to tease Succession, which doesn't come on until spring.
0: Right. So, if they want to build the momentum off of House of the Dragon, make sure there is not a lot of churn, make sure people stick around, they need another big hit right away. That's the one thing that netflix for the most part has figured out that these other services aren't doing yet which is like you need to always have something for people to watch always a reason for people to come into the service
1: yeah the, it's the you you might also like strategy yeah all right lucas thanks for coming on thanks man all right we are back with the call sheet craig are you watching andor on disney plus no you're not no It's definitely Star Wars for adults. I watched the first episode to see if it would be for my kid, and some dude gets shot in the head, and I'm like, nope, not for kids. But it's interesting because this is a departure for Star Wars. It's definitely an adult drama. just happens to be set in the Star Wars world. And it got me thinking this past week what's going on with the Star Wars movie franchise, which is, as you know, I've been very negative on. Uh, I think it's sort of in the dumper and basically dormant. Um, I wrote a newsletter about this for Puck last night, and turns out there are basically two projects that are competing to be the next Star Wars movie, and I am prepared to make a prediction today on which one that is going to be. Okay, let's hear it. So there is the Damon Lindelof version of Star Wars that has been being written for the past few months, he, obviously, the co-creator of Lost, um, he did the Alien reboot, Prometheus, which was pretty good, and he's got, he did Watchmen, he's got a, a project that he just set a director for, uh, this woman, uh, Charmaine Obeyed Chenoy, uh, who has done episodes of Miss Marvel, she was actually a documentary director as well, um, that project is more likely to be the next Star Wars project over this other project that has been in the works since 2020 from Taika Waititi. He has been working on a project that uh, he said in June, he doesn't quite, know what the story is, even though he's been working on it for two years. I know he's a busy guy. He's got a screenwriter named Christy Wilson Cairns. She's got a new movie out called The Good Nurse with Jessica Chastain. And they're working on a Star Wars project together. But he is down in New Zealand right now working on his HBO Max show, Our Flag Means Death. So the chances of him actually focusing on Star Wars in the next six months, pretty slim. So my vote is the Dame Lindelof version of Star Wars becomes the next star wars movie which has been slated for december 2025 a six-year pause whatever you call it hiatus break, reset hiatus um and that's if they make that date we'll see if they actually make that release date
0: i'm also skeptical that disney would just accept taika waititi's first draft of whatever star wars movie he writes it's probably going to feature like a talking lightsaber voiced by him or something.
1: Totally. Yeah, that's, that's the other thing is Lucasfilm is extremely protective and <laughs> extremely nervous about what this next version of Star Wars is going to be because they don't have the Skywalkers anymore. I mean, the last trilogy basically remade the first movies, and they have said that this is going to be a new version of Star Wars. I'm sure there will be callbacks and other stuff, but you're not going to have Mark Hamill. You're certainly not going to have Harrison Ford, as we know, and you don't have Carrie Fisher. So... This is a, a brave new world for Star Wars. and They got to figure out what it is. But Damon Lindelof is a pretty smart guy and he's done some great work in this franchise world.
0: Do you think people care more now than ever about who is writing and directing their huge IP projects? Do you think, you know, like 20, 30 years ago were people
1: as interested oh, no. in who is
0: Writing and directing. No,
1: nobody cared. It was just what, I mean, now because of the internet, obviously, and because of podcasts like this, the average person can get access to what's going on behind the scenes. And they want to know who's making their Star Wars. And, you know, previous generations, you had no idea who these people were. But I think the fans, I mean, I are, I'm already seeing it today. I, I had some news last night about the Damon Lindelof project and fans are going nuts about whether this is going to be good, whether Damon's the right guy for this, whether Watchmen-style storytelling works in the Star Wars world. Like, fans are, are extremely involved in so much so that they actually have an impact. I mean, if you look at what happened after the second Star Wars movie recently, The Last Jedi, Lucasfilm loved it. And then it came out, and some of the fans were pissed off about some of the creative choices that Ryan Johnson, the filmmaker, made. Because of that, they completely pivoted on the third movie, Rise of Skywalker. They got rid of the director, got rid of that script, and basically turned it over to the fans and said, okay, we're just going to do fan service here. We're going to bring back the Emperor. We're going to get rid of all the things, all the ideas that were in the second movie. Like, oh, the Force could be in anyone? Nope, not anymore. It can only be in certain people. So... This reaction in the fan community is not only impactful, it can actually change the trajectory of the movies. All right, that's the show for today. I want to thank Lucas Shaw for coming on, and I want to thank you. We will see you on Wednesday. This episode is brought to you by State Farm.